Welcome to DMs Discuss, where this week DMs will discuss some of our favorite moments uh, from DMing. Uh, so this will be the second installment of our Dungeon Master Moments uh, kind of subset in the podcast, where we'll all just kind of sit around, drink in hand, and uh, regale you with tales of some of our favorite times DMing. I think Scott's going to start us off. Yeah, I'm going to start us off while I start off my uh, Berry Fields uh, Tart and Juicy Fruit Sour. It's a ruby, raspberry, and red currant uh sour which i really enjoy nice. um so my first moment um does come from the wednesday game with mike and we have been chasing this hag around i'm sure uh by this point in the podcast <laughs> you've heard about her quite a few times but we've been chasing this hag around and we finally end up uh at one point cornering her and finding her watchtower and, and we've known that this hag kidnaps children and makes meat pies and things like that and at one point, we end up cornering her, and we get her to pop out of the ethereal plane in her tower, and we just lob a shit ton of fireballs in there. And just based on us prepping that action for her popping out and lobbing the fireballs in there and the amount of damage we did, we absolutely annihilated her. Um, and someone went in and, and like finished her off, but she was super low. And then afterwards, <laughs> when we go and check the tower... Mike said that we heard screams like screams of children. And it was only then when we realized we fucked up uh, because, yeah, those fireballs uh, did not just kill hags. Yeah. I mean, what did you find the first time you went to that tower? Like early on before the hags are like terrorizing you? Ch- children being kidnapped and children right. in, in, in cages and stuff like that. And those those meat pies that we, you know, assume were children. And yeah, I guess we came back and we like didn't bother to check. Uh, we accidentally murdered a bunch of kids. So it happens to the best of us. Yeah, that is my uh, downer dungeon master moment. Uh, I feel like that was a bad way to start the podcast. But hey, I don't know. I I was like, I thought it was funny because when Mike mentioned that, I was just like, oh fuck. Honestly, mm-hmm. that is one of those funny things because there's nothing about it in, like turning your players like lack of foresight against them, and then having that moment where everyone comes like, in retrospect, actually that was really obvious, and this is a really bad idea. <laughs> it's like uh, we just—I can't believe we didn't consider for like one second our actions might have consequences. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I'm playing a lawful good character, so I was like, "Are you? Uh oh, yeah." I mean, she is lawful good. I don't know if she is anymore, but. I mean, she did not expect those children to be there, so does that make her bad now? Which, again, in retrospect, probably we all should have expected children to be there. <laughs> probably. Always expect children. I mean, especially if it's, you know, the, the children stealing evil witches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Always expect some sort of collateral damage. It's never going to be so easy as you just, like, sit outside the building that you're, like, big bad that's been terrorizing you for a while is in and just lob fireballs through windows. You scope the outside of the camp of the child stealing bandits. Uh, yeah, we lob fireballs in there. Time yeah. for an overchanneled meteor store. <laughs> <laughs> if but you want to leave no trace of the kids ever being there, meteor storm is your ticket. I will uh, come at this from a more subtle side of things on uh, the DM end of luring my players into a trap, which honestly 
did not expect would work out as perfectly as it did. So I am running a very long running campaign. It's been like five or six years now. And currently they're level 19. They're fighting a cult that's bringing back an ancient chaos god. It's a whole mess. And the big thing about this cult is they are underground, insidious, and they are everywhere. And currently they have taken down several branches. And it's made very difficult by the fact that every branch only knows about its own plans and only about the plans of one person a rank above and below them. So it makes it hard to track them down. Now, they're making good progress. They got like three of the branches completely wiped out. And they're on the trail of a fourth. And when I had a session, this was just a couple weeks ago, I had them go for resources. They're looking around, trying to find a research on some new clues they had uncovered. And there was a character who they met who was a librarian at the largest magic college, kind of like the most important one in the realm they're playing in. And he asked them some questions. He helped them out, got them to where they needed to be. And they went on a whole adventure of finding one of these great cult generals, killing him and coming back. And a big thing was as they're talking to this guy, they told him about what they knew, what they were looking for, and all this other sort of stuff. And also they left him with uh, a bunch of money to start a, uh, a bursary to reward students who uncovered more knowledge about this cult. A research grant. Exactly. A research grant because students are hella broke. Textbooks are expensive. Magical textbooks are far, far worse. In any case, they had just acquired their third magical MacGuffin to go hunt down the king of everything. And they were about to go do that when they got a letter from this guy saying they should come see him. He had found out something really important. And so they did. And they went to this library and he runs a magical library. It's connected to all different libraries in space and time. So it's full of books that haven't been written, books that shouldn't have been written and stuff like that. Definitely stolen from Terry Pratchett, but I love the concept. (laughs) (laughs) And so as they're walking down for him to show him this something, uh, he pulls out this water-stained book and he asks them if they've ever heard the full story of a pirate they've killed several times called Gersvog, who was an actual orc pirate, came back as a ghost pirate resurrected by the cult to stop them, who they then killed again. And he goes on for a bit, telling them like the loose story of this guy going up. And I start, like, I was nervous at this point because I didn't think I'd actually get them, like, in the perfect position inside the library with this guy. And then I start saying, like, oh, as he's reading this, like, uh, you know, the walls start to, like, they damp and you smell sea air and you hear the sound of a ship. And I was playing this on my projected map. So I was actually changing the color of lighting of the floors. I was playing the sound of, like, the sea as they did this. And the player's like, oh, yeah, like, we're just kind of jam out to this and that's when i told him to roll for initiative as he transformed into a version of this pirate and they were so surprised yeah it was not yeah yeah it was kind of terrifying they were out of combat for so long they're in the middle of a magical library following this guy who'd been very helpful this entire time (laughs) yeah i feel like uh i feel like in some cases like that the players are just like oh you know such nice ambiance Oh, this, this is lovely, and but meanwhile, it's an in-game, it's an in-game sound. Oh yeah, you are like, oh, this is so cool. This is great. This is so cool. Like the like everything was shifting and changing as he's like starting to tell this story, and Chris like, and roll initiative. 
Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, this ended up being one of the favorite boss fights that I've played on my end. And the players oh, enjoyed yeah. it, but they were very annoyed by it because I will say up until now, they were fighting the very in-your-face branches of the cult. But this one's like the information gatherers, the mages and stuff like that. And they're very sneaky and insidious. And this guy played like a high-level mage in that he constantly misty step, thunder step, blink, like did everything he could to run away from them in a essentially infinite labyrinth library. So it's very frustrating, not to mention the fact that at the start of every round for his lair action, he would tell a new story by rolling on a story table, assuming a completely different form with different actions and its own hit bar, making it a very frustrating fight for the players, but very accurate to how a high level like master of mage would play. Yeah, it was incredible. I, I really like that, like, um, you know, roll on a story table. I recently had a chance to play a. Uh... College of Spirits. So, College of Spirits, yeah. College of Spirits Bard, and they have this little story table you roll on, and you get to tell a little story about, you know, the far traveler or this. And and the different stories just basically give different effects and buffs. I think there was one about a dragon where so the way the way you do it is you use a bonus action or a bardic inspiration actually to uh, roll on the story table. And then based on the story you get, you get a particular effect. And then you need to use your action to like release that effect essentially. Mm -hmm. And one of them was that uh, the effect was that a creature I can see within 30 feet basically gets to make like a dragon's breath. And uh, yeah, that little story table mechanic super cool. I like it. Yeah, I definitely I was inspired by that when I was building him. Uh, so I built him as uh, a College of Scribes uh, wizard. Which has like some pretty cool stuff, but I took inspiration from the bard table. But then I thought, like, well, I mean, if he's like this, you know, extremely ancient sage, he's not going to just, you know, get like a minor boost from telling these stories. He's a master of libraries. So, like, what if he just becomes a story? So That's the cool. entire library changes, like the terrain changes, like uh, for the story of like the Afridi Prince, like the ground becomes sand, it's difficult terrain, uh, you get sucked into it, and then he turns into an Afridi. Small uh, suck or big suck? Oh, it was, it was a big suck. It did big a lot suck. of damage. Uh, nice. They're level 19. It was a uh, 40 10. <laughs> yeah, it was legit. It, it basically made like the fight super chaotic because it didn't matter how much damage you did because he was getting you health bar all the time. So you like you had to like every turn, essentially like, every turn order, he was telling a new story and taking on a new form. You had no idea what was coming next. And uh, it gave the encounter like a really kind of crazy feel. We had to try to burn through the health bar of whatever form he was in during that turn order. And then he would turn back into his like kind of default form. And that's the only time you actually do damage to him. Otherwise the damage was to these different forms. That's really right. Cool. So damage would carry over into him kind of like a wild shape. It was almost as if he was wild shaping into these, these crazy forms, but he got a new one every turn order. It wild was cumulative. So like the damage would carry over if he got that form again, but mm -hmm. collectively I think so far it was, probably the second highest health enemy they've ever fought with how much health uh, how much had, health did, yeah i think about okay they didn't burn through all the health because they didn't see one of his forms they didn't kill all of them because they were able to like do enough chip damage but if they had like burned through everything i think he had about between 800 and a thousand wow that's a lot of health yeah a very healthy boy well i mean he, he was 10 different people <laughs> It is a very healthy 10-person boy. 
It's uh, I'd say mm-hmm. for level level nineteen, that's a very average ten people. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I suppose when you put them all together, like they multiply their strength, right? Yeah, it's funny because I didn't know how it was going to go because based on his rolls, uh, there was a chance that they could like burn through one four and like get it twice in a row, and then yeah. just do a ton of damage to him because he didn't have a lot. Most of his forms had more health than he did. Yeah, uh, but the thing was that once they killed them, I reduced like the die number, so there was a higher chance to get ones they hadn't seen before as they wore through his forms. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. That re- that reminds me of a <laughs> an episode of The Office where Dwight talks about how he was a twin, but then he resorbed the other fetus, and now <laughs> he has the the power of a man and a small child, um, <laughs> and a small fetus. Yeah, 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 basically that. Except with many, many like more powerful forms. Side side thing I have to add on the one form that made everyone go crazy was probably the best one because uh, that created the most chaos. <laughs> Why did it make them go? Oh crazy? God! And what chaos? So I'm I'm running a side mechanic in my game where there's a madness system where you have a another stat called madness, which is based on like proficiencies, magic casting ability, which gives you like essentially a resting level of madness, and certain attacks witnessing certain things will cause it to raise every time you raise five points in it you gain a indefinite madness effect uh that lasts until you cast greater restoration on yourself uh so essentially one of his stories was he told the story of the chaos god thar's dune who they're trying to stop and for that one i was like i was describing like what happens in it in this one all the walls dropped away they're left inside like kind of like a red and black void and then just they saw the actual chain god in his like prison plane above them, and they all took like just a lot of madness points. It was and they five got some... points each. We each got a new, yeah, <laughs> a new effect each. And it was unfortunate because two of the players were paralyzed, one for two minutes and one for four minutes, and the other player, who was the level nineteen fighter got the effect of he has to spend his turn attacking the nearest creature to him. Paralysis. And he does a ridiculous amount of damage. Paralyzed bard. Paralysis. Paralysis broke as soon as you took damage. But for the bard that's right beside him, knowing that this guy is going to get a crit on him for the first attack and then also roll another several against him. Yeah. Paralysis in D&D is like the worst condition. I am not a fan. (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's terrible. <laughs> it, it really is. It is one of the worst conditions. But yeah, that uh, I think that really put the fear of God into uh, into my players. <laughs> the the yeah, fear, of, it, absolutely fear of fear of the chaos God into your players. Yeah, fear yes. of the mad God. Fear of theirs, dude. <laughs> Mike, you got a you got a DM moment for us? Yeah. So I think um, speaking of the fear of God. Um, I am probably going to talk about the Wednesday game as well. Uh, I have kind of a, a tendency as a GM to not say no to players. Uh, it leads to me having tables that are full of people that have overpowered characters and usually too many of them. Uh, but it usually lends itself to some fun in-game stuff as well. So uh, I, I'm going to tell the story of how how y'all killed Strahd super early in our campaign. Um. So this hag that Scott talked about earlier has had been terrorizing uh, them for quite some time, kept reforming new covens and coming back and 
interrupting their uh, sleep and like not letting people get proper rests and just like chilling in the corner and watching them and laughing at them as they were getting their ass handed to them by like larger encounters. Um, so finally they devised this plan and they asked if they could do a thing that they absolutely should not have been able to do. And I said, sure. Uh, so what they did was uh, combine their powers where one of the characters, a ranger, uh, cast a uh, magic circle into a glyph of warding that the wizard was casting, and they put that on an arrow. I know, rules is written, you cannot put it on something that moves. Uh, if it moves more than 10 feet from the place that it was cast, it, it breaks. I know. But I thought it would be cool. I didn't really have much more use for the hag. I'd been terrorizing with it for a while. It was starting to lose its effects. So I was like, sure, you guys can do this. It would be pretty rad to see you like work together. And they, they like legitimately role played how they would do it. And uh, it was awesome. Like it was one of the coolest things I've seen in like a players only kind of moment in D&D where like people were just interacting and doing something cool. So I, I was cool with that. And uh, what I also like doing in that campaign is being kind of ever present with Strahd. So if you feel like an encounter is going well for you, he would just like swoop in and fuck shit up and then leave. So uh, those that don't know, Strahd's mount is a nightmare, which has the ability to kind of bamf in and out of the ethereal plane with whoever's on it. So I've used that in the past to actually get rid of a character uh, that somebody wanted to swap out and uh, kill them for kind of exposition and let them see what Strahd really looked like. But in this case, what happened was... Uh, they had this plan devised and the hags were present in the city. They came back into and shit was on fire. They cleaned up uh, some of the werewolves that were there and the hags came out because they thought there was an opportunity. And uh, when they did, uh, I think the paladin like ended up critting the hell out of the hag and it was basically super low already. So what I had happen was because the healer was kind of chilling in the corner away from everybody else. I thought it would be fun to swoop down with Strahd uh, on the back of his nightmare and just grab onto the healer. Uh, so I did that. Uh, Strahd comes out of the ethereal in the back corner of the uh, battlefield and swoops down, grabs onto the tiny Muppet healer and starts to take off. Um, and what happened next is why you should always kind of consider why rules are written the way they are. Um, the players ended up dealing with the hags uh, pretty quickly and they had to bamf out or risk being killed. So the remaining hag in the group uh, used her plane shift and got away. And the party turned just in time to see the healer who actually went next in initiative, pull out uh, the uh, talisman of Raven or the, was it Ravenkind? I forget the name of it now, but anyway, he pulled out basically the, the, the anti vampire talisman, made it shed daylight and just like pushed it into Strahd's face. Uh, and then uh, our ranger pulled out the arrow that was meant for hag slaying. I, I think, and I think you are missing a very key part of this story. Right? I'm, oh no. The polymorph came right after the arrow hit. Oh, did it? Yeah. 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 Oh, so it was, uh, it was after. So the ranger pulls out the arrow uh, hits Strahd with the attack. So the magic circle goes off and uh, Strahd is still on the back of this uh, nightmare, which is like pretty high charisma and you can get out of a magic circle 
through teleportation if you pass a charisma save. So uh, the nightmare then gets polymorphed into a goldfish and falls into the fountain uh, at the base. Uh, and then who was it that Cone of Colded? I, I think it was Grover Cone of Grover, Colded. Grover Cone of Colded, the fountain, to freeze it over so that the goldfish would be stuck inside underneath the water uh, while uh, he just continued to press the daylight emanating uh, talisman to the face of the vampire as he just got the shit stomped out of him in like a round and a half. Yeah. Uh, and I, with no ability to get away. And I remember, okay, so after that cone of cold, which was brilliant, right? Because if someone's polymorphed into a goldfish, that's like a one HP creature. So all Strahd needs to do is like run a fingernail across it and it's back into its nightmare form. But the cone of cold freezes it over. So Strahd did spend a turn trying to crack through the ice. Um, to get the fish but i remember play i was playing eyes at that point and i remember using eyes as like shadow step to come into the circle and it was my turn and i look around like uh we're we're doing this right (laughs) 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 and we yeah we just wailed on them and yeah that talisman in the daylight oh man Oh yeah, you guys had the perfect combination of all the things you needed to kill him. But that that is why it is dangerous to let your players do whatever they want. Um, but at the same time, it was super cool, and it led to me getting to build up this whole extra world because y'all wanted to keep playing after Strahd was dead. Let me so. en- let me encourage that. This is exactly why you let players do what they want <laughs> because this was such a fucking cool moment for everybody involved, and like. To this day, like all we need to say is magic circle or glyph of warding, and this will come to mind. And like the way everything unfolded here was so organic and like just an absolute, an absolute picture perfect display of like party teamwork. It was such a fucking cool moment. And I, yeah. like, I mean, you could hear the way I'm talking about it. Like, I love that moment. Oh, and also my goldfish brain, though. Like, I knew you had that arrow, and I knew you weren't going to use it on the hags anymore. What the fuck was I doing? Um, I mean, yeah. yeah. That was a good moment, like, for me, too, because I had just got Magic Circle from leveling up as a Monster Hunter Ranger. And, like, my character's whole thing was that he's really good at hunting monsters. So, like, when the point was we were brainstorming with the hag, I was just like, I got this new spell that kind of stops anyone from leaving. Could we use this? <laughs> yeah and i I think one thing one thing about that moment too that i found really really cool was just everybody wailing on him and just him turning to dust um and my my character too in that campaign was like his whole thing was he was a shatter kai elf and he was sent back by the raven queen to you know investigate this great evil and that was actually the exit point for my first character in that campaign where Strahd was dead and he felt like fulfilled and he his equipment was left near the fountain and he was just gone. So that moment's like big for me too because that was like the quote unquote death of my first character. It just felt best that way. Yeah. Yeah. Isaac's quest was done. Made sense. Cool. Uh, what are you guys feeling like? Do we want to keep going? Yeah, I, w- I want to get to that last one. And I think that's I think that's one that we yeah and i think that's uh i think that one's a joint one right so i think mike and i have identified this as one of our favorite moments and uh i guess i'll tell it from my perspective and then mike you can tell it from yours i guess so uh 
as Chris had said, he played this monster hunter ranger, and his name was Rick Per Belmiao uh, from the Belmiao clan. Um, and uh, yeah, it was this taba- it was Tabaxi, right, Chris? Yeah, yes, it was, it was a very tab- serious character. Tab- tabaxi yeah, ranger, not at all completely ripped out of Castlevania. <laughs> yeah, uh, t- non TM TM non TM, uh, whatever ones over there. But anyways, so. Um, you know, I, I like party tension to a certain degree. I think it adds something interesting to have five characters that get along all the time and have no group conflict. Um, I think can be boring, right? Um, some inner party conflict always makes for a more realistic session and a more realistic campaign, I feel. Um, so I talked to Chris and I said, hey, I know you're a monster hunter. I've been looking at playing this artificer and her background is that she's a lycanthrope. But she's learned to control it, and her artificing power comes from the moon. Because when talking to party members, it's like, oh, what class should I play now that Eyes is gone? And the consensus was an artificer. I'm like, okay, but I don't really like the steampunk and mechanical aspects. So what can I use to artifice? And Kirna had gems um, across her arm, and I basically used the power of the moon to artifice. I would carve gems. And the moon is what would power my spells. So I talked to Chris out of game and said, Hey, Chris, I know you're playing a monster hunter who absolutely hates werewolves. Can I play a werewolf? And uh, Chris said, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I was completely <laughs> fine with it. And I feel we should say, like, to, to clarify this, the character I was playing was literally, because we were playing a vampire campaign, I just took uh, Richter Belmont made him a cat and gave him the flaw of he just both hates and is terrified of werewolves. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, 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 I talked to Chris about playing a werewolf and we decided that, uh, yeah, that's a great idea. And uh, <laughs> we pulled Kirna in and throughout the time, like Kirna was humanoid. She did look human um, and she was a shifter, um, but she never shifted in battle um, just because she knew how she might be perceived. And, and through time with the party, you know, uh, Rickper would sing songs about <laughs> if my family was a werewolf, I'd slay them all. <laughs> Stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, Kirna never really made it obvious or never made it apparent she was a werewolf. As things went on with the party and as Kirna grew trust in certain people, uh, she did tell and show them, including Reardon, who was uh, one of the other PCs. Uh, Reardon took over a town and uh, he was the lord of Barovia. Uh, I um, believe it's Saint King. Is what oh, well, he himself? At that <laughs> at point, time. I think it was Lord. <laughs> yeah, at the time, I think it was Lord Reardon. I don't think he was King Reardon or Saint King Reardon. But anyways, um, and, and she said, you know, like, I know how my kind is perceived. Um, I don't believe us all to be evil. I am not evil. You know, I was forced to do evil deeds in the past, but I am looking for redemption. And that was Kirna's Kirna's goal, you know, she wanted to reunite with her family and redeem herself for the things she had done wrong. And, uh, you know, as things go on and progress, everyone in the party learns that Kirna is a shifter. And she even shifts in front of some of them um, with the, you know, the shifter racial. And I describe that as her, like, crystals on her arms and things hardening, etc. Everyone except Rickper. Rickper never knew, never saw and Kirna and Rickper had like some kind of friendship. Kirna wanted to learn how to hunt monsters with him. Um, Kirna was working towards 
becoming that. And Kirna actually took, uh, you know, a blood hunter level at one point. Um, Kirna was artificer fighter. And then at some point in the campaign, she did take a blood hunter level, but her and Rick per were, you know, forming, forming a friendship and kind of, you know, just being closer to each other. Yeah. I will, uh, hop in here from like Rick per side of things is that, you know, obviously I, as me knew that Kieran is a shifter, but I played up as that, you know, I want to make sure that as a character, she knew that he hated werewolves and also that his family line, uh, had been cursed to hunt down all monsters. Like this is unavoidable. And also to like, this is a path they walked alone. And so he, Kieran, you know, wanted to learn monster hunting and Rick per was reluctant at first, but then grew to trust her and did it because you know every time his family has tried this it always fails because like it's his family's curse to like this is their job to do alone so if he ever has allies it's not for long so that was where he is coming from at this is like i hate werewolves i trust you Kyrgyz. i'll try to teach you this but part of him knew deep down like this wouldn't be like a lasting thing but he hoped it would be yeah so at, at one point um at one point something happened uh after the death of strahd in our campaign Something happened where different domains started to collide with our current world. And one of those domains was a werewolf domain. And we started to see various werewolf attacks on the city and things like that. Um, at one point, Kirna was in battle and we were all in battle with like over 30 werewolves. And we actually had to use Kirna's luck blade and the one wish on it to cast teleport and get us all out. Or we would have TPK'd. And uh, Mike, I think you could confirm that that was a total TPK. Oh, 100%. Yeah, you guys were fucked. Yeah. So um, after that, we do end up getting in a different battle with a, a good set of werewolves and some beefier ones that we haven't seen before. And at this point, Kirna is at like 10 HP. And as my, as my shifter sub race, when I shift, I gain a bunch of temp HP. So I felt desperate enough at that point to shift. And, uh, yeah, Chris, maybe you want to tell that side of the story. Uh, so yeah, I, I played that very much as my character would have is that, you know, Kirna shifts. And at this point, I'm the only one who does not know that Kirna is a shifter. And so like we fire at the battle, you know, this moment where Rick looked over, it's like, what the actual fuck? <laughs> uh, and then, yeah. So afterwards I demanded an explanation and found out that for quite some time the entire party had known this and they had hidden it from me afterwards afterwards you pointed a crossbow at me a crossbow that was that was strung with one of my magical infusions uh yeah that that i did because i was highly suspicious because out of nowhere of course if you care to say you know uh suddenly legions of werewolves attack the instant we finished our campaign and i find out that one of my closest people to me is one of these things. So I'm immediately suspicious. One of the closest people to you who was surrounded by six of these things and defending the entire party. I know, but I, I highly suspicious, hate them, terrified <laughs> of them in the character flaws played it yeah. by the book. <laughs> so there was this whole conversation about Rick Per holding his crossbow up at me and me saying, you know, like, look at the infusion on your crossbow. Look at what I just did. Look, I, I've, I and I was really low HP at that point, and I took a. I this was like, 
120 HP artificer with like a 24 AC and the shield spell. Like, and I was, I took a beating that fight. No, Mike? Yeah, you had like seven HP or something left. Yeah, I, I was, I think I was at 10 or below at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- and to be that low from 100 something HP when I have like a 24 AC and the shield spell. Um, yeah, I mean, you can imagine the onslaught there. Um, but yeah, there I was like this to whole... say I only took about 20 damage during that fight. <laughs> yeah, well, fuck you. <laughs> well, maybe if you take a, maybe you, maybe if you take a little more, Kina and Rickford would still be friends. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Rickford would still be alive. Yeah. Um, so uh, wait, what did you say? I said Rickford would still be there. Oh yeah, probably. Um, so anyways, after all this tension and stuff, you know, Rickford finds out he's the only one that knows. And, uh, Rickper finds out he's the only one that knows, and he feels so betrayed. Um, Rickper and Kierna stopped talking, uh, that night. And then, uh, in the morning, the entire, the entire party gathers. Um, Kierna does as well. Kierna goes to the kitchen to talk to Rickper about it because Rickper had the chef feet and he is usually cooking us snacks and breakfast. And Chris, maybe you want to tell this part. Uh, yeah, so like everyone was going about stuff, and uh, I- I'd already talked this over with uh, Mike ahead of time so that he was ready for it. Yeah, and so I was like, Yeah, you know, like when you go there, I was like, You know, Rick Per isn't with the group, uh, he wasn't in the kitchen at all, and so people started looking for him. Yeah, I didn't go there, I think it was uh, uh, Kaladin. Kaladin went to find Rick Per after that. Yeah, so house, like you know, yeah. people went to a couple places, kitchen, the house, and uh, Ripper stuff was just packed up and there's just a note left on the bed uh, for Kierna. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Mike, you want to tell his part? Yeah. So uh, I essentially had uh, this note that Chris had left for Kierna to be read out loud, essentially. And uh, it was essentially like a, I don't know how to deal with this. Um, I feel betrayed, but you're also my friend. I'm cursed to do this thing. I can't not hunt your kind, so I need to leave. Uh, And he also left a little medallion uh, of his family's order for Kierna. Yeah, it was one of the most touching, like, player-to-player moments I've ever seen in a game. Legit teared up when I read the note. Yeah, and and I I legit cried when I I heard that note being read because I, I had... In my head, you have your vision for a character, and my vision was to fight side by side with Rickper as a monster hunter. I was taking additional blood hunter levels. I was taking, I was, I was pushing to be like uh, establish an order of good aligned lichens that would fight along the Belniaus. Uh, I don't know, I, I don't know how I would make that happen, but I that was the vision for my character, and I wanted to work with Rickper to do that. And when when Matt read that note, I legit had to mute myself because I cried. I, it was it was it was one of those things where you have all this vision and like in an instant. I did not expect Rickper to leave. I knew there's going to be tension. I didn't expect a full out. Yeah, I'm gone. See ya. Um, but the amulet was actually uh, not the family's order, but kind of a side order where if you're not a Belmia and you don't have the curse. There's an order that fights alongside the family. 
Um, and yeah, Ripper the, had the order of Ecclesia, uh, based on the order of Ecclesia. <laughs> yeah, dear Lord Chris. <laughs> and Ripper was allowing <laughs> this character did not start off as a serious character. <laughs> <laughs> And Rickford was allowing Kierna to to become part of that. And then I had a little character moment that I'll never forget. Kierna was mad. Kierna was fucking angry. And Kierna felt betrayed. As much as Rickford did, you know, Kierna didn't tell him because of the way he may react. I mean, he's been singing songs about slaying werewolves and all of them are evil and none of them are good. And she feared that he would just kill her. Um, and she was working up towards being able to tell him. But because I decided to shift, um, I no longer got that chance. And Kierna just felt so hurt and betrayed. She went to her room and I don't recall what she cast. I think she was she was sitting there. And she laid out, oh, it was her infusion. So she laid out the infusion representing uh, Kaladin's holy weapon. She laid out the infusion representing um, Pistol's ring. She laid out one of her infusions. And then the last infusion was the bow. Rickper's magical bowstring. And she swung her sword at it. And then at the very last moment stopped and broke down. And cried. And Kierna kept that infusion up until she died. Uh, which was not, not long after, but she still is. <laughs> yeah, so in character, I felt that Kierna would not break that infusion. She cared too much about Rick Purr to make his weapon weaker. Um, and, you know, kind of gimp the party because you're losing out one infusion for a character that's not here. But Kierna, I felt like, I felt like, okay, well, that infusion is gone because Kierna would never drop that. Yeah, and Kierna was so, after that, Kierna was so angry, and she broke down and cried, and she kind of took this, all right, well, like, you're going to run away, you're going to be a coward, I'm going to show you I can be the best monster hunter ever, and she grabbed her sword, ran her hand over it, sliced her hand open a bit, the blood covered the sword, and then ignited into flames, because I had messaged Mike, can I drop a fighter level for another blood hunter level? Because Kierna is just fucking pissed. And that was one of my favorite D&D moments. And if you want to know how much that moment means to me, in a few weeks, I'll have a big tattoo on my right arm representing <laughs> some of that. So, yeah, that was one of my favorite moments ever in D&D playing or watching or listening yeah honestly that was so much fun because also i didn't really expect it to play out that way either like i was like also looking forward to like the big like ongoing quest line of it but just the way it ended up happening with like i hadn't gone into how my curse worked and stuff like that but to find out that like the entire party knew that you were a shifter and ripper didn't i was like Oh man, it's gonna like play us out a little bit, but I think the only option right now is Ripper. He has to leave, so he doesn't have to like kill his friends, and because you know he's been grew up in a essentially a brainwashed monster hunting cult that is like, don't trust anyone. Our family is in this alone. Everyone's gonna either turn on you, use you, or just be a monster in disguise. And Ripper's like, ah, goddamn it, number three again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> time to go. 
Yeah, for sure. And and one of those things that you don't normally get to do is like changing major character things like the levels you have in certain classes and stuff. But I feel like that's something you can let your players do in situations where they have like a, a like a huge formative moment like that or something that would be like earth shattering to the character. Oh yeah, I, I love that that happens. Absolutely. Yeah. Your your fucking your fucking wizard jumps on the back of a dragon, starts to beat the shit out of it with a staff, and he wants to take a fighter level. <laughs> Let him do it, man. Like, like I, I feel that. Or I, your wizard jumps in a dragon, starts beating it off, and takes a uh, draconic origin sorcerer level. Oh, <laughs> that's kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, our podcast is rated PG, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I really like the whole level switch thing. I, I think it's, if it makes sense, do it. Like, like your fighter is no longer fighting anymore and starts becoming a very godly man and he wants to like maybe he's a 10th level fighter but he wants to switch out one fighter level for a cleric level if there's a very impactful moment that even stats right i think if there's if you can justify it in story and in character moments like that could be really really cool and her dropping fighter for a blood hunter level was a representation of no, I'm not going to be this defensive fighter anymore. I'm dropping a fighter level and I'm not going to be action surging. I'm going to be lighting my fucking weapons on fire and I'm going to be like that. Yeah, that was the rage of the blood hunter coming out. Essentially. Yeah. I, I, I tried tempting Mike with uh, some level swaps when uh, he essentially met an evil God and I told him he could, you know, accept this power and he didn't. But afterwards it was like, Hey, what if let you like swap warlock levels and just become like a super powerful hexblade? <laughs> would you would you have allowed a level switch in that Kirna moment? Uh yeah, I think in that like moment, like hearing like the reasons why, especially because like it's definitely like it was obviously not like a power switch. It wasn't just like, oh man, I just realized like if I do this, I could like uh action search and do this nonsense thing. So uh my guy wants power, so he switches. No, it was obviously completely character driven. And not for like any kind of like gameplay stuff. So of course, I'll always yeah. love that stuff. One hundred percent character driven. I actually think the character would have been less powerful, but um, yeah, not less powerful, but just different. Like I get a little more fire damage on my attacks, uh, but I can't action surge anymore. Yeah. So maybe a little more, a little more steady damage, maybe, maybe more sustained damage. damage. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, I love taking levels and stuff that's all like character, even if it's not for the sake of power. Have you seen my characters? Have you seen my yeah, like all oh, yeah. <laughs> three lock one three lock one bard one cleric five paladin one bard what like yeah basically if you see Scott playing a character that's like less than three classes he just doesn't give a shit about your game. Hey, you know what? I think, <laughs> like, listen, you know what? I think it's Wizard's fault for making a Twilight Cleric dip so nice or a Life Cleric dip so nice. It's, you play a Sorcerer, you take one level in Cleric, you get heavy armor. Yeah. Like, that's that's so good. There's so much oh, value totally. in that dip. Yeah, one, one Cleric will always be one of the strongest dips you can take on most classes. <laughs> yeah, even just, like, a one Warlock dip for Eldritch Blast so good uh if you're taking one take two so you get agonizing yeah fair enough yeah that that's how most warlocks are created it's like well you might as well take another one <laughs> next thing you know you send over your soul and you've got an army of demons <laughs> <laughs> i do love the idea of just like 
low level like warlock patrons just kind of like hanging around like adventuring bars just being like look i'm really not asking for much and you get an eldritch blast like that's it we're one and one and done you just say this all i need is a single vial of blood and you get eldritch blast (laughs) cool so i think that was a pretty solid collection of uh some of our favorite moments both dming and playing uh, and I hope you all enjoy these. We're going to be doing a lot more of these in Tears Core episodes uh, as we kind of wind down the intro to DMing stuff. Um, yeah, so I hope you join us next week. As always, I'm Mike, and if you need to slide into a DM's DMs, you can DM us on Insta, Twitter, or Facebook at DMs Discuss, or catch us via email at dmsdiscuss at gmail.com. And I'm Chris, and make sure to trick your podcaster app into letting you cast Magic Circle and a symbol so that no new episodes escape your grasp. <laughs> As always, check the show notes for fun stuff. Do you have a favorite DM moment? Hit us up on our socials at DMs Discuss and let us know. After that, enjoy your long rest. <laughs>